going to get straight into the word this morning. I had such a strong thought in my heart, and I'm going to share that with you this morning. And it was simply bring a word of comfort to the people. Comfort the people. And this morning, I'm going to share a concept with you, and I'm calling it the God of all comfort, because that's the God that we serve. Don't know about you, but I need that quite often, <laughs> knowing that He is a God of comfort. Yes, He's a God of so much, and there's so much more, and we celebrate all His aspects, but this morning, I believe that all of us in this room, and I include myself in that invitation, is invited to come to a God of comfort, who wants to comfort our hearts, comfort us whatever we might be in, find ourselves in. Maybe personally you find yourself in a pretty decent space and you're like, Pierre, ah, I'm not sure, I'm pretty okay, I don't know if I need it, but let's take it a little bit further. There might be some friends and family in your life that needs the comfort. I think where we find ourselves as a nation, just thinking of what our nation is going through, I need comfort to know that God is in control. I need the comfort to know that he, in his incredible sovereignty, has got a plan and a purpose for this nation. And that as Job said, that no purposes of God will be thwarted. Everything that he purposed and planned will come into fruition. And he's so sovereign that he sometimes even allows the evil to be there so that he can bring forth a purpose that couldn't have existed without that. So this morning, the word for us is that he is a God of all comfort. And we're gonna be in two scriptures predominantly, 2 Corinthians 1, first few verses, and we're gonna be in Isaiah 40 this morning as we study this concept. And I have two goals for us today as we open up the word. To discover what godly comfort looks like and where it comes from. I think some of us need to understand a little bit deeper what it really looks like. If we say, say he is the God of comfort, what does it mean? And where does this comfort comes from? Because we try and find it in different things. All of us do. We find it in relationships. We find it in, in other places. But God has got a real secure idea of what comfort looks like. And then secondly, our goal this morning is that through the word, not through emotion, not through an experience, but through the word, we will experience the heart of the Father for us. That's why I read John 1, that in the beginning was the word. Before there was music and all these other things, the word of God was first and foremost. And we've got to read it like that. And, and sometimes I read the Bible and it causes a much greater explosion of faith and proclamation than a song ever does. So I believe this morning as we study the word, it's going to stir something in you. That you're going to go like, yes, I love this and I love God and I believe he's the God of comfort. So let's open our Bibles in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 3 to 5. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get stuck in to this morning. It says this in the ESV. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would stand over your word and preach it to our hearts this morning. 
pray that it would be living waters that rise up until we are immersed in it and completely wrapped in what you want to say to us this morning. And I pray, Holy Spirit, you are the parakletos, the comforter. Pray, Lord, where words fall short in what I share this morning. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and bring the comfort that we find in you. And the people of God say, amen. I'm going to go through the scripture systematically, break it down into a few thoughts, and then I'm going to have four conclusions to share with us this morning. The first thing that I love about this scripture we just read, it starts with worship. It's an exclamation of praise. It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's founded in Paul's experience of that comfort that stirs him, that emotion to say, blessed be, hallowed be, all my affections, all my love, all my praise, all my focus on this God from whom I experience my comfort. See, when we experience that comfort the way that Paul has, and he's writing this from being in a very difficult season of life, and I don't want to get into the whole history, but the previous letter he wrote to the church in Corinth was a difficult letter that he had to write to them, and they were a little bit at odds with him, and he felt a little bit at odds with them, and there were some relational challenges, and it's, it was hard days, and these guys were persecuted for their faith, but he's experienced that comfort. And it's out of that comfort that he's experienced that he says, you know what, let's start this understanding with worship. That he is blessed. That he is worthy to be praised. That is enough. To me, I read that and I'm saying, blessed be. And I'm like, Lord, that is enough. Think about David, all the Psalms that he wrote where he's in turmoil and he always concludes with, blessed be God. Lord, I don't know how much longer I'm gonna find myself in this place, but you are still worthy to be praised. You are still blessed, and I will raise my voice. I wanna link this to 1 Timothy chapter six, where we've been this past few weeks. It says, Christ, he's the blessed and only sovereign. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who dwells in unapproachable light. To him be honor and eternal dominion. And that very verse we took a couple of weeks ago and we said, God, what does it look like for us as the church to understand that you dwell in endless, radiant, unapproachable light, yet we come and we find ourselves at odds sometimes with life? And how do we bring these worlds together? And we wrote a song at the recent songwriting retreat. Um, one Filipino, three South Africans came together with these thoughts about God's comfort and his endless light and our brokenness. And I've asked Brian to share this song with us this morning. As a, as a stirring of faith, and that we start this concept of God of comfort from a position of worship. So Brian, why don't you share that song with us for a moment. Speak the loudest 
when truth is on trial. The battles against us, our hope is in Christ. Our hope is in Christ. Glorious, endless life. You're the love that line that says, when brokenness binds us, no strength left to fight. There's freedom surrounds us. Our hope is in Christ. And this is where Paul starts this concept. He says, blessed be this Jesus. Blessed be, be. Because this, the first thought is that what I'm going to say after this is true. It's going to happen. I know it and I believe it. Therefore, I can praise him. And some of us have started doubting. 
Some of us have started thinking maybe he does not hear or see. We're going to see in Isaiah 40 how God addresses that. Second part of this scripture says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. I want you to see what Paul is writing. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he chooses those two words again to describe the Lord. He says, He is the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. So he's bringing to us two concepts that he's saying twice so that we get and understand it. And the first concept is that he is a father of compassion. The root word there, mercies, is compassion. That he's a father that understands and compassion means to suffer with. And because of Jesus, that is true because he has suffered in every way. And he says that we've got a high priest that can relate to us because he has suffered in every way that we have. Yet without sin, he was tempted just like us, but he remained pure in his walk. So he understands. So we've got a father of mercies, and then we've got the sovereign king, a God who sits across and above everything, who stretches the heavens between his thumb and his index finger. That's the God that we worship. Isn't that comfortable to know that? So why, why, why we wrote the song, Sovereign God, is that you are sovereign and big, yet you're the anchor of my soul. You are so big and so, so huge and indescribable, yet you're so personal. And Paul brings that to us again. There's comfort in knowing that he's the all-powerful, omnipotent, great God, yet he's a father of compassion. He's a dad that says, come, I know what you're going through, and I'm here for you, and I want to help you through this. Isn't it amazing when you read the Bible like that and seeing all the things that Two, two verses already, just trying to explain to us. And then it continues, who comforts us in all our affliction. Everyone of us say all? All of it. Not some of it. Not just part of it. And you know what's amazing about the grace of Jesus and the cross is it even comforts us in the affliction that we bring upon ourselves when we fall into sin and our own demises and miss the way. When we return with repentance back to him, he brings a comfort that is just amazing. That is beautiful. He comforts us in all things, in our pain, in our brokenness, in the worst things we've been through, even if we allowed it and it's by our own doing. He still comforts because he's a father of compassion. I love the story of King David. And what I mean by I love is I don't necessarily mean I love the part where he found himself wrapped in his sin, but I love the story after that. King David was found in his sin and he knew that the God of all the heavens, the Almighty, had to deal with him. And he went into his room and he waited for God to deal with him and to bring his discipline. Doesn't the Bible say that a father who loves his children disciplines them? So he allowed that moment to happen. And he was waiting in his room and the men came in to tell him that his son that he had with this woman that he fell into adultery with has passed away. And the guys were scared to speak to him. You see, he's brought this affliction upon himself. He made a decision to go against the, the, the precedents and the ways of God, and he brought this affliction upon himself, and he waited for God to be God, the just judge. But it's beautiful. Listen what happens. The guys come in, and, they, and he asks a question. He says, Tell me, is the boy dead? 
And they said, yes, King David, the boy has passed away. And then something beautiful happens. It says, he got up, he washed his face, he put on his clothes, and he went and he worshiped. Because he knew that there was a God of comfort. Even when his worst sin take him, took him to his worst pain, there's still a God of grace and comfort that is deserved, deserving of worship. Isn't that beautiful? And it was in that moment that he felt the full restoration that God has for him. We do it differently. We run away in our shame and our guilt. And God is saying, come, I'm a father of compassion. Come to me because I want to embrace you. If you return from your sin and from your ways, and you will restore your worship unto me. He's the God of all comfort. Not just the outside things that happen to us, but even the things that we bring upon ourselves. I love this. What's the purpose of that comfort? Here it is. So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. It doesn't terminate just by the receiving. There's a greater purpose. We get to enjoy this comfort so that we may be able to comfort those who find themselves in affliction with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted with by God. Isn't that beautiful? And this is an important point to note because we have to understand that you can only receive comfort from someone who has received comfort from God and Christ. And some of us have been looking at other people and places and things to get our comfort from. We have the people that speak into our life, but it's the ones that have been recipients of the comfort of God who can truly comfort us. That's why community and church community is so incredible and so beautiful because if I go through something and someone comes and I've been comforted by God in that, I have the ability to then be a sharer of that comfort to others. So it raises the question, where have you been looking for your comfort? The only place you'll find it is within that community that God has placed you where comfort comes from as others have received from him as well. Are you surrounded by others who have received their comfort in God? Do you place yourself in relationships where it wouldn't be the naysayers around the braai, oori land, oori rand. Waar gaan ons opeindig? Ons gaan nie jimmel opeindig. Seriously, we're going to end up in heaven. The 80 or 90 years is insignificant in light of the glory that awaits us. What a comfort to know that. But we've got to speak to one another like that. Because that's where I find my comfort. When my worst day is upon me, I close my eyes and I go to the Father and I say, God, I just can't get through the day. And then it reminds me of the beauty of heaven that awaits. Where we're going to carry crowns of glory. So when someone asks the questions again, tell him, well, if you follow Jesus, you're going to end up in heaven. Isn't that pretty great? The other day I had a conversation with a friend who told me on Halloween, years back, he led a church. This, the Satanists came out and, and they said, we're going to kill you on Halloween. <laughs> and he laughed in the Satanist's face and he said, oh, you're going to threaten me with heaven. Come. <laughs> Come, I'm ready, I'm going home. Isn't that amazing? Could, could we carry such an attitude where we think not on the transient things that pass, but the eternity that's coming? See, then you see boldness rise up of people that just lay down their lives for the sake of the kingdom, getting the message to people. Last night, I had the privilege to send 
Dave and Kirion over to, to Paris, and it was quite interesting. Literally, Dave's suitcase was this big. It's a carry-on, but a small carry-on. That was his suitcase. Hirion came with a trolley with three suitcases on it. <laughs> and I'm sure every outfit is planned accordingly. The right shoes with the right jacket, with the right shirt, with the right undershirt, with the right scarf, with the right beanie, with the right... Yes, and we had such a laugh, just the different characters in that moment. But Dave and I found ourselves, while we were waiting for Hirion to bring his three bags... Um, we found ourselves talking about when, I f when, when we were in India, in Varanasi, on the Ganges. And these people pour their souls out to dead idols. To dead idols. Hundreds and thousands of them daily. And I remember being on the boat, and I've shared this story, but I was just so reminded of again. Being on that boat, looking towards the banks of the Ganges, where the sons of Ganga worship these dead idols. And the, Isaiah 40 says it so beautifully. It says, you're worshiping idols that you've got to spend a whole lot, lot of time on making sure the base plate keeps these idols standing. That's what it says in Isaiah 40. Go read it. And then my heart was just broken because the whole concept of eternity, they're trying to find their comfort in something that would never comfort them, ever. So may we find our comfort, but then go and be people who comfort others. Let that be a purpose. Otherwise, our suffering is purposeless. Otherwise, we just go through it for the sake of going through it. But if we start using it and seeing the redemptive potential in our pains and our afflictions, we will know that there's a purpose so that we can show others the comfort that we received. And then this scripture ends with, for as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ, we share abundantly in comfort too. And this is one of the beautiful attributes of the cross. That because of Jesus, our affliction is redeemed. If we didn't have him, our affliction and our suffering would be purposeless. But because of the cross, it is redeemed. So four conclusions from this passage. And then halfway through, I'm going to go to Isaiah 40. The first thing that we read here and clearly read here is that there's comfort in community. But it says here that you receive comfort and then you take that comfort and you share it with one another. And within that, there's comfort that we share with one each other. Who of you have found that before? Do you go to a brother or sister and you find the comfort? Now, here's the, here's the tricky part. Some of us try and find it only there. The scripture starts with, it's the comfort that you receive from God. If you want to experience the full benefit of comfort he has for you, You've got to start with the Father of compassion. You've got to start with the omnipotent God, the sovereign who sits above everything. You've got to go to the sufferings of Christ, and then also you can find it in community. He didn't say that you will find your comfort in the leaders and the pastors of the church. He said you can comfort one another. Whenever God speaks to his church and he says, bear each other's burdens, it's not a letter that is written to the leaders, it's written to the church. And so often we find ourselves still so used to tradition and how we, we think in the old ways that we think our comfort comes with an appointment with the pastor or a prophetic person. All of us have the comfort of the Father and all of us can give it out. And if we don't go to one another and find our comfort there, the, pers the person that we don't go to, the comfort terminates. 
and there's no greater purpose to it. So he encourages us to go to one another, and I want to take this further. It says in 2 Corinthians, three chapters later, it says this, uh, 2 Corinthians, sorry, 12 chapters later, verse, uh, chapter 13, finally, brothers, rejoice, aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. The other day we listened to a message by Tim Keller where it says the word rejoice used in that context is plural. The rejoicing happens when we come together. He says it's pretty weird if you find someone that just constantly by themselves is rejoicing, right? Everything is just always perfect and happy. But true rejoicing happens when we come together and we sing our songs and your affliction becomes strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace and hearing four, five hundred people sing these faith songs with you. So we find comfort in those places of community where we rejoice together, where I might have had that difficult morning that Brian spoke about, a hard week, but you know what, Eugene, yes, he's got some stories to tell this week of God's grace upon his life, and then I get to rejoice with him, and in the light of that, mine becomes strangely dim. And he says, aim for restoration, which means push through until you are fully developed in maturity in Jesus. We find comfort in that. And then he says, comfort one another. Brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters, because that's how we think, right? Brothers and sisters, why don't you comfort one another? Why don't you call up someone and say, hey, I need a little bit of comfort. Can you pray with me? Now, let me say this. I want to say this again. I'm going to get there. Don't do that without finding your comfort in the Father first. And going to Jesus and seeking out the sovereign God. And so many of us do these things in isolation. But comfort is a fourfold approach. And the first one is that he's given us community. But it didn't only give us community. The second one is that there's comfort in the suffering that Christ went through. Comfort through Christ's suffering. We can't let our comfort only terminate within community. We've got to take it that step further where the purpose is that Christ went through the cross and he bared all our pain and shame and guilt and he suffered deeply so that he can relate to us. Spurgeon writes about this. And if you read a little bit about his, his life journey, he was, his body was filled with ailments. He really had a difficult existence. One of them being depression. Often find himself with difficult, difficult, difficult moments of depression. But he says this, speaking about the cross, Jesus does not suffer so as to exclude your suffering. He bears a cross, not that you may escape suffering, but that you may endure it, that you have the ability to go through it. The cross of Calvary and the suffering that Jesus went through enables us to endure the suffering that this life will give us it's the one constant that we will have also in this world is moments of affliction but i love second corinthians chapter four now we three chapters down from where we started but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to god and not to us let's pause there again it's about worship we have this treasure it's a treasure in this brokenness to be able to show worship unto the one who makes us strong in our affliction. 
Because it's all about His glory again and His praise. And then it continues. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. They're saying, God, you know what, there's, there's pressing, there's hardship, but we found a treasure in it because there's an opportunity to show the world how amazing you are, that we can actually get through this and we can endure because of the cross. It becomes worship again. You see, now our, our suffering and our, our, our pain becomes something much more than just, oh, it's a bad day and oh, I need Jesus. It's an opportunity for you to show Jesus to the world. That's the purpose of it. And in that, we find a comfort to know that our hardships is for his purposes. He continues saying, so because of this, we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Isn't that beautiful? Though this body is becoming old and I can't run as fast as I used to and there's some difficult days and difficult moments. You know what, inside here there's a Jesus and there's a Holy Spirit and there's a power and a zeal that gets renewed every morning because every morning His mercies are new. So I can wake up and this power, doesn't matter what my outside circumstances look like, what I've got inside is amazing. It's ever bright, it's radiant, it's glorious and I'm gonna share this with the world because I have a Jesus that walked this road before me. It's so important that we find it in the community, but we also find it through Christ's suffering. And then this is probably my favorite, and I believe maybe the most forgotten well of comfort in our world today is that we find comfort in an all-powerful God. The other day, Leon and I were going through some difficult conversations and a difficult few days, our hearts were wrenched. We didn't feel that great. It was one of those days where if both of us were saying we're gonna quit, it would have been a quitting day. But by God's grace, in marriage, that's the beauty. When I'm down a little bit, then she's up, and the other way around. So we were both, both sitting around, and we just, it, was, it, it felt dark, for lack of better words. And I, I just went to the Word of God, and I started reading Isaiah 40, which I'm gonna lean into this morning. And I read just the attributes of this omnipotent, all-powerful God. That's all I did. I didn't read the promise of your light will shine and break through like the noonday. I know the plans I have for you. I just read who this God is that we're walking with. And I realized that's a well of comfort that we neglect because we want the quick promises and the quick answers and the quick solutions. And Isaiah 40, and I read it in a few of the versions, describes him so beautifully. The one imagery that, that it, there is is that it says he stretches the heavens between his thumb and his index finger. Think about that for a minute. Let that sink in. And then it says the earth hangs like a ball in the sky in front of him. And sometimes we feel our earth is caving in and our world is caving in, right? But he sits and he stretches out the heavens, and within that there's a little ball, which we call earth. And there's almost eight billion people, and he knows the thoughts of all of those people, and what they're going through, and he sits secure, immovable, no shadow of change. 
In the beginning, he was, and he's still the same. Isn't that comforting? There's some comfort in knowing how big he is. That he can go, and that ball just falls off. A little piece of dust in the picture of the galaxies and the universe that he sees. That people are still, years and years later, trying to describe to us and discover. You see, when the views we hold of God are small, our confidence and comforts in Him falls. When we hold just a very small idea of God, He's just enough to save me and get me through my day. He's just enough to give me a prophetic encouragement so that I can just face this weekend. He's just enough that I can read a few verses and feel, okay, I can, I can make today. Isn't that a small view of a God that sits and stretches out the heavens and the earth is like a little ball that hangs in this picture. That gives me a comfort to know that's the God that is intricately and personally involved in my life. Therefore, Paul said he is the God of comfort. He's the big, the massive, indescribable picture as well as he is the father of compassion through the sufferings of Jesus and in community. You see, now our image and our idea of comfort changes. It's not just like run to Jock, like, Jock, man, there's some willa tight, and I'm going through some things. Will you pray for me? I step back before I even do it and say, God, let me just have a glimpse of your bigness again. Let me just think about that for a minute. And that one day I'll get to see the whole picture. Because one day when you return, or if it's after I've passed away, I'm going to sit there with you. The old earth will pass away and something new will come and we're going to sit with him and see the full picture. So Lord, give me an eternity perspective. Let me not focus on the things that are transient, but let me focus on this indescribable God that knows my name. And in fact, it's engraved in his hand. Isn't that beautiful? That's how we've got to think about finding our comfort in the Lord. And it's out of this that the Lord spoke to his people through the prophet Isaiah in chapter 14, 40, starting with comfort, comfort my people, says your God. And then how does Isaiah comfort the people? Well, he starts off by saying the prophetic words to Israel at that point, speak tenderly to them. There it is, the father of compassion. Speak to them softly and announce to her that her time of forced labor is over. Her iniquity has been pardoned. Her sin has been forgiven. The cross, that's us today. Listen to this. And she has received from the Lord's hand, from his tenderness, double for all her sins. Isn't that beautiful? Now, I want you to close your eyes for a minute as I read some extracts of Isaiah 40. And just think about this, this vast, indescribable God. The prophetic word continues. It says, every valley will be lifted up. Every mountain and hill will be leveled. Another portion of scripture says, the mountains melt like wax. Think about our Halderberg and think about wax and a flame. That's what happens when the mountains stand in the presence of God. The glory of the Lord will appear and all humanity will see it together. The grass withers, the flowers fade when the breath of the Lord blows on them. Indeed, the people are grass. 
The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God remains forever. Raise your voice loudly. Raise it. Do not be afraid. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. See, the Lord comes with strength, and his power establishes his rule. And he asks questions then about this God that we serve. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand or marked off the heavens with the span of his hand, his thumb to his index finger? Who has gathered the dust of the earth in a measure or weighed the mountains on a balance and the hills on the scales? God places all the mountains of the world on scales and he weighs them. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? That's the God that gives us the same comfort that we find that we need every day on our knees. It carries on. Who has directed the spirit of the Lord? Who gave him counsel? Who did he consult? Who gave him understanding and taught him the path of justice? Who taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Look, the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They are considered a speck of dust on the scales of God. He lifts up the islands like fine dust. With whom will you compare God? Will you compare God with your affliction? Maybe we should because then our affliction becomes nothing in comparison to this big, incredible God that has given everything to make us his own. That's the beauty of the gospel. God is enthroned above the circle of the earth. He stretches out the heavens like a tent to live in. He reduces princes to nothing. The rulers of this world today, he reduces to nothing and makes judges of the earth like a wasteland. To whom will you compare me or who is my equal, asks the Holy One. Look up and see who created these things. He brings out the stars by number and he calls them by name. The slim copper, the scientists are still trying to figure out how many stars there are. And God stands back, this omnipotent, all-powerful, massive God stands back and he calls them out every night by name. <laughs> he says, line up, guys, it's evening. And the next morning, sun, come, let's do this again. It's time to rise. It's a new day. Yes, and with this new day, there's new mercies. My people are going to go through stuff, but my mercy is readily available to them. Because I sit and I called out the stars last night, and now I'm calling out the sun. And it brings me to my last point that we find in this passage is that he, we find comfort in a compassionate father. Yes, in community, but very limited. Only to the measure that the community have received it. And then through the, the cross, all our pains and sufferings, Jesus understands. But then we find it in this thought of that he is so indescribable. And then he brings it right home. He's a dad filled with compassion. That when you find yourself afflicted, you run into his arms and he embraces you and he picks you up. Isaiah 40, and I'm reading from the message paraphrase, says it like this. Look, it's an imitation. Look, cake, not just here. Look, your God, look at him. God, the master, comes in power to go into action. He's going to pay back his enemies and reward those who have loved him. Like a shepherd, he will care for his flock, gathering the lambs in his arms, hugging them as he carries them. Isn't that beautiful? Look at that big, massive, incredible God, and he 
bends down and he picks us up because he's a shepherd. And then as he carries us, he hugs us with his love and his care because he's a compassionate father. And then Isaiah 40 ends with the very well-known promise that so many of us know. It says that young men run and grow weary. The youth faint. But those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. I'm going to read it to us. Isaiah 40 verse 29 to 31. He gives power to the faint and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run out and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. So many of us have tried to find our comfort only in community. But the invitation this morning is there's so much more. And he is saying that I gave Jesus on the cross so that your suffering is redeemed to a greater purpose. Remind yourself that I call out the stars every night. I'm that big. But then see this image of me that never, never gets tired. It's not, not like me when Alika wants to play and half an hour in, I'm like, I'm done. Genoeg trampoline gespring for a dag. It just never gets tired. For eight billion people today, it doesn't get tired. For the billions that existed before us, it didn't get tired. Isn't that comforting? And then he says, those who wait on him, I mean, here's the key. Those who have the patience, that's what the Hebrew word there implies. The patience. Those who gather together, who look, who keep watch, and who patiently tarry as they wait upon Yahweh. Those are the ones who will have their strength renewed. So what's the key to open up the door of comfort? It's waiting. Patiently. Another day, if it has to be. Another week, if it has to be. Another month. Maybe another year. Now, I don't know if you find yourself in a day or in a year. But I know that He's the God of all comfort. And this morning, He's ready to comfort us through His Holy Spirit. The parakletos, who comes like a blanket around us and comforts us with His peace. I want to end with a story about Jesus. Jesus just heard the news in Matthew chapter 14 of one of his family members, John the Baptist, who was beheaded. Someone he walked with, someone that prepared the way, a brother, and he was killed. And it says, at the news, Jesus were afflicted, I can imagine, and grieving and in suffering. Said at this news, he went to a desolate place. He wanted to go and wait because he needed his strength to be renewed to face another day of just ministry and people. 
So he went to the desolate place, but then the next verse says that the crowds pushed up against him. They were still so desperate for Jesus that they, they chased him down. And this is the Jesus that we serve. He was completely human in that moment. The divine stepping into our world, our brokenness. And I can imagine that like any human who lost a good friend, needed some comfort, he needed that. But then it says this, verse 14. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat. And he had compassion on them and healed their sick. So get the image, Jesus in this moment were probably the one that needed a bit of compassion. Yet he put it aside so that he can have compassion on us. Isn't that beautiful? And it says that he saw the crowd. He looked at them and he saw them. He didn't just observe, he noted, he saw them, he looked deeply. And he had compassion for them. And this morning I believe Jesus seeing some of you. In fact, he's seeing all of us, but there's appointments this morning. For some of you, Jesus is saying, I see you and I have compassion for you. The disciples were annoyed with the crowds. They said, these guys are needy. They want food again. They're hungry. Isn't that sometimes how we feel in community? Like, ah, oh, there's a needy person again. And Jesus said, well, let's give them something to eat. Let's give them a feast. And he chooses the bread and the fish, which represents him being the bread of life. And the fish, I can imagine, because the fish they, that they caught there wasn't like a checkers fish where it's all cut out and neatly. It's like, it's like the blood and the guts and everything representing his, his death. He chooses these two elements and he says, let's feed them with this assurance that I, Jesus, am gonna give my life for you and I've got compassion on you. Lord Jesus, we thank you that this morning you see and you have compassion. Lord, I wanna take a few steps back and I wanna thank you, Jesus, that you have given us community to find comfort in. But I want us to move beyond that this morning, Lord. I want us to go to the cross and knowing that no suffering with you is without purpose. And that because of the cross, we too can endure because there's a greater glory that awaits us. Lord, thank you that you've called us to raise our views of you again this morning. We, we've had low views and your word has just reminded us of how incredibly big you are. And then, Lord, this concluding thought that you are a father of compassion. So Jesus, I pray that the hearts that need to hear this this morning, would you hear your voice say, I see you and I've got compassion on you. And if that's you, just respond by speaking to him and saying, Jesus, that's me. I need you to see my affliction and my suffering because I need you to be the God of comfort to me this morning. a simple prayer that he's willing to answer. Thank you, Father. This morning we, we prepared the table communion.
And I want this to be a personal moment. I know we always do it as, as a corporate moment. But I want you to go and take the elements, the bread, his body that was broken, the grape juice that represents his blood that was shed and who flowed to cover our sins and to take a moment with Jesus and let him comfort you. Maybe your affliction is like a mountain. I believe this morning that mountain is gonna melt like wax in the sight of who he is. Maybe your affliction is is not within you, but it's in someone else or might just be in the state of the world that we find ourselves in. Remind yourself in the words of the prophet Isaiah that these things are like dust to him. And then as you partake in the elements, feel in that eating and that drinking how deeply personal he is with you. How he's a dad embracing you, hugging you, like a shepherd with a sheep. And let him speak to your heart. So let's create a, an environment for the next few minutes where we just all spend time with Jesus. You guys can go ahead and enjoy the elements.